Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel, 6th and Peabody, our location. Coming up in a little over an hour, George Savarikas from the Golf Channel and ESPN joins us. We'll be recapping what was a phenomenal tournament and Brooks Kepka's fifth major, third PGA championship. Uh, meanwhile, there's a new name on the block in Michael Block and the PGA professional uh, at your local country club out in California. Had a hole-in-one on 15 that will not soon be forgotten. Plus, uh, Power 5 conference payouts and more. Chad, the NFL is investigating more gambling violations. Uh, this comes on the heels of, what was it, a month and a half ago, of more suspensions, five players specifically. Um, and this is going to continue until, you know, word gets around that the NFL is serious about all of this. And... This is all being reported through the apps, through the sports apps. And Pro Football Talk, uh, citing ESPN.com, says that they're investigating a new wave of potential violations of its gambling policy. And, I mean, it's a minimum of one year if you bet on pro football. And it's at least six games if it's anything other than football while you're on team property. So, look, I, I know that the agents... We're explicitly told, tell your guys to cool it. Teams have to be addressing this uh, with, with players as they arrive for OTAs. I think 20 teams started OTAs this week for veterans. Uh, meanwhile, I'm also sure it's a hot-button topic at the NFL owners' meetings this week, just taking place up in Minneapolis. Point being, it's a league that profits a ton off of sports wagering and betting apps. And the penalties are going to go to the players or anyone involved with the organization, not the actual league or the owners who are raking in the cash on this. They just want the perception to be that everything's on the up and up. And so do the, so do the apps, by the way. They also want that because they want to be involved as the official betting side of any league, insert your name here, any team. Teams can have their own betting services, team up with them. This is about the quote-unquote integrity of the sport. But, I mean, if you've done this in the last month and a half or two months, or even going back to the end of last season, you're caught and there's nothing you can do to change the outcome if you're going to be reported by the, the wagering services. It depends on how many more people are suspended and how much more they find out about this. But there will come a point in time where the NFL will have to decide what's more important, profit or optics because they are taking so much money from these sites. And at some point, if you continue to penalize players in your league with these big-time suspensions and fines and everything else, and it's not getting across, and you're having to do it over and over and over again, yep. and you don't get to a point where just no one's getting popped for these things anymore, then they're going to have to decide whether or not they pull the plug on these partnerships, cost themselves millions of dollars, or not. 
And I don't think we're close to that right now based on the number of players who have been suspended. But if they're continuing to investigate more and more players with this, we may reach that point in time where they have to seriously take a look in the mirror and say, even if we don't really think that our sponsorship of these online sports wagering companies has any bearing on what's going on with our players, we need to stop it because we look like the biggest hypocrites in the world right now when we are slamming the book down in the faces of these players and continue to take millions from these companies. We may get to that point in time. I don't know that we will. Money rules all in the NFL, and they're making a lot of money with these companies, so they'll continue to do that in the meantime. That's also why they're likely to vote through the Thursday night football flex scheduling that uh, you know was two votes shy. There were two two owners who abstained on the last vote, the last spring meeting. Um, that the the other vote they they've tabled until tomorrow is the twenty five yard line rule. It's the college rule. If you fair catch a kickoff inside the twenty five, you automatically get the ball at the twenty five. I don't think that passes tomorrow. I think that'll be tabled um, personally because special teams coaches are vocal about not loving this. They hate it. Uh, players too. Um, but the one I do think passes is the Thursday night football flex package where you can technically, if you're a good team late in the season and you're involved in a, a showdown with another good team and it's a week where you have two losing teams playing for nothing on Thursday night football for Amazon Prime, they're going to flex you for a second time. You could potentially play two games on Thursday night, not just one. And again, they were two votes shy in March and two owners refused to vote. So... Roger Goodell tabled it until this week. We'll let you know if that vote comes down today. So far, no. But that's happening this week at some point. Al Michaels certainly wants better matchups. And by the way, this would be for weeks 14, 15, 16, and 17 uh, across the schedule. Games 14 through 17 for your team. Because this is about making sure you have eyeballs on the product late in November and all through December. In exclusive windows. Exclusive windows against good football teams. Good against good. Amazon added the Black Friday game. They get the Jets and the Dolphins. They get Aaron Rodgers exclusive on Amazon Prime on Black Friday. They are paying more money. They're paying a billion already for the the TNF package. They want better games. Just ask Al Michaels, which Pat McAfee did on his podcast. Whenever people said that you seemed like you weren't as interested in these games last year, I assume that pissed you off. I, I thought a lot of people didn't understand what was going on. I, I thought that um, I have a great feel, I think, since at, as a six-year-old, watching games, being a fan, I can feel where a game is. And I'm not going to oversell a game to you. That's wrong. I can't come on the air yelling and hollering and screaming. Where do you go from there? And people expect me to be in rhythm with the game. And I've had a lot of talks with like Jim Nance and Joe Buck and, and my brethren about this too. Where is the game? You know, you're, I've always said in a way the game is the melody and you provide the lyrics. And if the lyrics don't match the melody, it sounds cacophonous. It sounds like, what? What is that? The great thing is, as a fan, I can, I can feel where the game is. I can feel what the fan feels. And I'm just trying to stay in sync with that and reflect that. It's just a matter of the games. A lot of the games we had weren't very good. So if I didn't sound excited, if I sounded too excited, people would go, oh, he's just trying to sell this crap. No, can't do that. And I won't do that. And, you know, I think that's been uh, my MO for almost four decades now. So I, I love the honesty and I appreciate the candor. Uh, Al Michaels wasn't himself last year. Just uh, point blank. 
didn't sound like Al Michaels was having any fun and wanted no part of the Thursday night football package. Uh, it's more than just selling a game. Um, I'm talking first quarter when it's, when it's a, a tight ball game or a decent matchup. I didn't think Al Michaels brought it NBC style. Um, maybe we get more of that this year, but there was more than just a bad schedule that dictated what we saw from the booth. Cacophonous is a great word that needs to be used more often, first off. So well done using that word there, Al. Um, not even just first quarter. He wasn't himself in the pregame hit when they went live to him and Kirk Herbstreet. He was completely muted yeah. the entire time. So this is more than just having bad games. Now, I agree with him. You don't want to be over the top, you know, late in a game that's not right. great, treating it like it's the Super Bowl and yelling. But Al Michaels hinted that. That's not what he's been in his career. He's not a screamer. He's not a guy who's going to get overly excited. He's very good, and he's a great technician at what he does, a play-by-play guy. And most of the good ones are like that. He mentioned Joe Buck, Jim Nance. Those are two guys who aren't big yelling and screaming guys. You know, they're not Gus Johnson when they're calling a game. They're going to be more with the whatever's happening and calm during the call of it. But there's a difference between calm and sedated. And I think that there were parts of, of Al Michaels that seemed sedated a year ago when he was calling game. And he's one of the all-time greats. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I look up to the guy, but it sounded different. Hutton, it sounded so different. We were having this conversation. It sounded to me like the audio levels were different on Prime as opposed to NBC. Yeah. Everything sounded quiet. Even Kirk Herbstreet, it's like their audio levels weren't boosted enough to where everything sound, sounded calm as opposed to the Al Michaels you would hear on, on NBC on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, it, just, it, wasn't, it was just very neutral and bland. It didn't have that same pop to an Al Michaels broadcast. Um, let's just a handful of games in September on Thursday night this year. Uh, Minnesota at Philadelphia is their first Thursday night football game on Amazon, on Prime Video. Uh, that's in Philly. It's a no-brainer. Uh, let's see, week three, New York at San Francisco. And week four, Detroit at Green Bay. Those are the – that's the September slate of Thursday night football. Of course, they kick off the season on Thursday night, but that's an NBC package. And we got people in the YouTube chat saying, well, he got stuck on some brutal matchups. I, I understand that. And if you're Al Michaels, you've called Super Bowls. You've called Sunday night football. You've called the miracle on ice, for God's sakes. You've called all these – major events throughout your career and blowouts but here's also what i and I'm, I'm not pushing al michaels to retirement but if you're going to be so bitter about calling nfl games in an exclusive window on thursday night and just because the matchup isn't great that you're calling it that you're going to be sedated on air and not really sound like you're giving it your all then maybe that's the sign that you should let someone else take over and do it because you're still calling nfl games that is the pinnacle that is the top of the top in exclusive window. So I do think you might – it's okay to fake it a little bit more than you did at times a year ago for those games. I, you don't want to take a nap during the broadcast, and that's what it sounded like at times with Al Michaels and Herb Street. I admire the honesty. I appreciate it. We all understand what you're saying. But if you've reached a point in your career where you've done so much – that you are so mad that you have to call an NFL game of all things that doesn't feature two of the top teams in the league well, on a Thursday night, then maybe it's time for you to let someone else step in and do it. Well, I, I also, I mean, they 
he called a playoff game and was much more energized whenever he called the wild card game on NBC, which was predetermined too. That was last season. Um, he's, I mean, he also knows his audience was cut in half. And that's why they're going to add the flex games in, is to, to give a boost, especially down the stretch in November and December, to try to give a jolt to the overall audience and what am that's right in the heart of the Black Friday game and that whole schedule, week 14 through 18. So I'm, I'm expecting, or week 17 is when the last Thursday night game can be. Um, fans will know 15 days prior. If you're traveling in, it, you'll know, every fan of each team that's getting flexed will know 15 days prior if you're playing three days earlier, on time, or possibly a day later on the Monday night flex, which is also possible, which the NFL already has discretion over. Chad, uh, Brittany Griner played in two games so far, uh, Friday and then again yesterday. Um, the Mercury lost to the Sparks on Friday and to the Sky yesterday. I know you were keeping up with both of these scores. My uh, fantasy WNBA team played did, did very poorly yesterday, so I was watching all these to make sure. I got I to look at some trades at small forward with my fantasy team. Vanessa Nygaard is the uh, head coach for the Mercury. Um, watching the, the highlights on SportsCenter, that's how I know that this game took place in the WNBA. Um, you would have thought it was a packed house. And, and by the way, the Sparks, just for reference, average about 5,000. This is last year's attendance. They averaged about 5,000 fans per game in L.A. The Mercury last year averaged 8,000, and they had over 10,000 yesterday. And... Vanessa Nygaard isn't happy with the attendance based on what she expected for Griner's return to Phoenix. I mean, it was, it was great, but, like, honestly, come on, L.A. Like, we didn't sell the arena for BG. Like, I expected more, you know, to be honest, right? Like, it was great, it was loud, but um, how, was, how was it not a sellout? How was it not a sellout? Well, it wasn't a sellout because even liberals don't like the WNBA. And that was what she was getting at. L.A., come on, L.A., BG's return. Well, they had a better. How's this not a sellout? There's so many. There's so many people here that have supported her. And how how do we not sell it out? It's because the WNBA is not gaining a lot of traction. I just needed to answer the question for. Yeah, that's that was as simple way as I could simple. put it. Uh, I'm with Dan. T take your politics aside and look at it and say, well, this is an area where we should have a lot of people going to a WNBA game to support Brittany Griner. But the bottom line is. Even those people don't like the WNBA. No. They'd rather watch the Lakers lose in four to the Nuggets. Same. Uh, Chad, I'm going to miss watching uh, Carmelo Anthony. I'm with Dan Dockage. I had no idea that he wasn't already retired. When was the last time he played? Two years ago? His last stat line's from 2022. So it was the 21-22 season then okay. is what that would mean. Uh, but he's officially retired after 19 seasons, drafted in 2003, and... He's the ninth or tenth. He's the ninth leading scorer in league history. And, I mean, the list in, ahead of him is a who's who, as you would expect. But he finishes with 28,289 points. Ten-time NBA All-Star, six-time All-NBA, and, again, ninth, ninth most points. College basketball champion, Olympian, and gold medalist. He's the 75th anniversary team member, Mello. Legit career, man. Yeah, legit. No championships. Um, one of those guys that's a little bit difficult for me to put in the pantheon of all-time greats. Great individual player. I don't know that he affected winning to a level that you'd want to see with a top-ten score 
all time for his teams. He was a, a bit of a, a, a vacuum, right? You throw it into him, he, was, he, was, he, he would eat the ball. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on around him. The, everything orbited around Carmelo Anthony, but he wasn't giving it up that often. But a great player, great offensive player. The most respect I have for Carmelo Anthony was he was a true star for the, those Olympic teams. Yeah. The, the gold medal winning team. I, one of them, I believe, he was the leading scorer of a team with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and others. Key part of at least one of those gold medals. So um, that's what I'll, I'll remember Carmelo I, I Anthony mean, for, maybe more than anything else. Aside from the Knicks, I mean, he played with Dwayne Wade and LeBron. He played with Kobe. Um, career history, Nuggets. Knicks, Thunder, Rockets, Blazers, Lakers. He's um, a great player. Yeah. And again, I had no idea that he wasn't already officially retired, but Hall of Famer and uh, props on the career. Uh, Brandon Miller, you buying the, you think it's a smokescreen? I think it's a smokescreen that he's out of shape. I'm not buying that Brandon Miller from Bama is out of shape going into the draft uh, when, I mean, we've known for a year that he's going to the draft. It, the time is now. And I can't help but think the scouts that are a little behind the top five are putting out there that he's not that impressive right now. I, I, he seems very serious about his basketball. Everything I know about him. So I, I, don't, I don't buy that he's completely out of shape or anything. Do I buy that he's been a bad interview for a couple teams? Maybe. I mean, that's possible. That they're getting legitimate information that he didn't interview well with a few teams. Would I be shocked if he wasn't a top three or four pick? Absolutely. He's going to go top three or four. Maybe number two overall. But if he lasts a five, I will be completely stunned. And then we'll look back on this story and say, well, there was some legitimacy to it. That he really was bombing the pre-draft process if he falls to that. I don't think he's going to. I think the likely destination is Charlotte at number two. It's Charlotte and then what? Portland is the third pick, I believe. He's not making it past three. I don't think so. And also, I mean, I was trying to think about it. Like, with his frame, how difficult is it to get out of shape in the middle of May from the end of March? Like, we're talking six weeks. He's got such a high basketball IQ. You don't get to that level of IQ without playing all the time. I just don't see Brandon Miller losing to San Diego State in the Sweet 16 and going to a buffet for the next two months and not playing a lot of basketball. Not me either. Naturally, he's going to be playing even, enough pickup or something yeah. to where he's not going to completely fall out of shape. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't buy that I part think, of it. I could buy, you know, some people had a problem with his interview or maybe how he answered questions about the Alabama situation. Yep. I think it's one that if you're interviewing him and you're a team and you get a very lawyerly answer to those questions and he's not going into detail and just a lot of... Uh, I just want to move on type stuff, and it's supposed to be an intimate one-on-one team that may draft you conversation. I'm willing to bet that's what Brandon Miller's been told to do with teams, and I could see how that would strike a team the wrong way. And then that would lead to them reporting to someone in the media and saying, not a good interview, didn't like him, didn't come across as authentic. I think that may have been part of it. But also, if I'm Portland or Houston, Orlando, and I don't want the G League guy or the, uh, the overtime elite player... I'm floating this out there that he's not that impressive, just yeah, trying and, to scare people off. And let me Again, also say about the interview, season. as poorly as Alabama handled that situation, there's nothing that has happened that would stop me from drafting him Yeah, if I were a team in need of a great player. Because yeah. of his talent, and that's what, 
because that's why we said we would vote for him for player of the year. You look into it, but I mean, he wasn't charged with anything. Right. He handled it poorly. Mainly, though, it was Nate Oates, the university, that handled everything poorly. And he was more of a byproduct of that, that he was out on the court the entire time. So I wouldn't have an issue with that if I'm an NBA team. The Pac-12 making headway on a new media deal. You've got further details there, plus the conference payouts for the Power Five. They have and they have not. So that's next right here on Hot Mike. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We thought Johnny Depp received a long standing ovation. We've got details on who just beat him out at Can. It's uh, coming up in 25 minutes or so. Uh, it wasn't Michael Amber Heard. No, it was not. No, it was not. Spoiler alert. Uh, Chad, another spoiler alert. Power five in college athletics is big money. Combined, the Power Five brought in over $3 billion in 2022 combined. So there are the haves and the have-nots, even with the five. But as you take a look at the picture, according to USA Today, Big Ten, $845 million. It's $58.8 million per school. $802 million for the SEC, right under $50 million per school. Big 12, rounding out the top three between 42 and 45 million per school at 480 total. 617 million for the ACC. That's 41 million per school. And then 580 million for the Pac 12. That's 37 million per school. And they're trying to get at least 31 ish on this new TV contract that's being negotiated currently, which would match what the Big 12 is going to have moving forward. And keep in mind, the Big 12, they're getting this revenue because they're claiming right now, and they should, and they do, Texas and Oklahoma. USC and UCLA also being claimed in this by the Pac-12. We know all four of those programs and universities headed elsewhere for their athletic departments, um, Big 10 and the SEC. Point being, those numbers are going down, and we're going to see the SEC and the Big 10 rise. Let's show that graphic again if we can, please. I want to look at this. I wish I had a telestrator right now when we did this because imagine, just for a second, mm -hmm. with this graphic and this amount of money, if you took the top two conferences and they joined forces in their media negotiations, what that would look like and the leverage the SEC and Big Ten would have. Now, imagine if you took all the Power Five and joined them together and you were able to trim the fat. You were able to kick out Wake Forest and Vanderbilt and some other programs at the bottom that aren't making as much money and revenue and just take the top, I don't know, 65 teams, 50 teams, whatever that number is, in all of college football, and you took that out to market 
and you took it to the networks and said, you get all of this or you get none of it. And imagine what those 45 to 65 schools could make. Double the NFL. 32 teams NFL. Let's double it to 64 teams in major college football that join their own NFL of college football. And you take it to market with companies and think about the collective bargaining of those 65 schools where you can own Saturday and you can in part own at least part of Thursday night, especially as long as Al Michaels is sleeping through prime video Thursday night NFL games that no one cares about apparently, including the guy broadcasting the game. You could have multiple Thursday night games of college football. There is a lot more money to be made. There's a lot being made right now. There's a lot less money to be made by the Pac-12. We're about to see that with their negotiation. There's about to be a lot less money made from the Big 12. The Big 10 and the SEC, while they may have plateaued a bit, because I don't think those conferences are going to continue to get what they've got in the past alone. But when you combine forces and collectively bargain together, the world of college sports will change dramatically. And those top 60 schools, or whatever the number is, will make so much more money. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time before there's a central governing body of college football with those 60 making their own schedules for everyone, having their own media deals. Two or three networks will own all of it. You're then going to have to go to the streamers with everything else that you don't get on broadcast television that all of those companies own. The day is coming where... The Pac-12, the ACC, the Big 12, and even the SEC and Big 10 may be no more because there's just going to be a region of major college football and major college sports that and you're I, a part of. And I maintained that last year. Whenever I, I, I thought this was happening sooner rather than later. It sounds like it's going to take further time. Did you see the report from Pete Thamel over the weekend? That the deal's not done? Well, the long-form contract isn't signed. With, with so they have the like Big an Ten. MOU signed, well, a memorandum of understanding. Yeah, they're, they're, that's the one that's always locked the coach's in with the contract. Conference. It really comes down to NBC is what what I got from this report. So uh, Big Ten and the big network, CBS, Fox, and NBC. NBC in this package. So you still have big noon kickoff with Fox. Then you have the CBS afternoon game for the Big Ten. And then NBC, the Big Ten Saturday night is how it's being billed. But within the structure of the Big Ten... You could opt out after a certain part of the season, correct me if I'm wrong here, Chad, on playing night games. And that was accepted based on the previous television agreement because the best game was Big Noon Kickoff. And NBC is wanting... It was described as horse trading, is the way Pete Thamel described what Tony Patetti is having to do right now. And it wasn't... I think it came as a surprise that he had to jump in and immediately try to figure out, okay, we're three months from the season. Let's figure out how we're going to get this deal signed. And here we've got the season kicking off with those TV deals underway. And there are quote unquote outstanding issues. Some of them being that teams programs like Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, they don't always want to play on Saturday night. They want the ability to, after a certain time in November, not have to play those games under the lights if they so choose. That's what the previous agreement had. And Kevin Warren signed off on this before the presidents and ADs did. 
And so it's a, yeah, it's an MOU more than it is a long-form agreement contractually. Um, they're also going to have to pay back some of the networks. Um, according to the report, they're going to pay back nearly $40 million to Fox because Warren delivered NBC the Big Ten football title game in 2026 without full authority to do so. They're going to have to pay $25 million in a deal to pay Fox back for the lost inventory of 2020 with that season and the COVID season. And then tens of millions of dollars on the value of the NBC primetime deal is in flux. And Patetti is trying to wheel and deal with programs in hope of keeping everything together. I think ultimately he will, because it sounds like Ohio State and Penn State specifically have agreed to play ball, so to speak, past that date in mid-November. But this is interesting, because I, if... If NBC's not all the way on board, and they did release a statement, it was funny, NBC released a statement to ESPN saying, hey, we're, we're negotiating, everything's cool, like, we're going to give it some time, we have faith, this is all going to get worked out. But the Big Ten didn't comment. And I think it's in large part due to the fact that the big schools don't want to always have to play at a very specific time based on the way this TV agreement pans out. And I can understand that if you're those programs, you don't be locked into a night game every week. Yeah. You, you want some flexibility. I look at the partnership between Fox and NBC for something like the USFL as a possible precursor for what we could have moving forward. Talking about collective bargaining and more collaboration amongst different conferences together eventually will be the way, and they'll make more money that way. I think with networks also, Hutton, where they can come together on, all right, you get top choice this week, I get top choice next week, or we can go back and forth on big noon kickoff versus the night game. Sometimes you might have the big night game. There is collaboration like that amongst the networks, but for the most part, it's competition. You're bidding against another network, but you're also talking to that conference about, well, we definitely want this game. We want this. Our primetime slot is 2.30 Central Time, 3.30 Eastern. That's where we want the big game. So you're really bidding against instead of coming together and deciding, let's get this where it works really well for everyone and we'll pay the premium because we know it's going to be an alternating system to where we all have mm -hmm. the game we want. That seems to be the details that were left out of this full deal that they don't have right now. And what type of say the member institutions, i.e. Ohio State, Penn State, any of the programs that feel like they're going to be in a primetime slot too many times, they want to make sure they can get out of that if they, if they need to. But I think all that is going to take more, more of what we see right now currently from NBC, Peacock, Fox, their streamers on what they do with USFL on a bigger scale well, with college football. From college football. And I know basketball doesn't play a factor in many minds. But even Tom Izzo has been vocal about, hey, uh, based on the TV package for hoops in the Big Ten, there's way too many games on streaming packages and not on, you know, TV. How, however you get your cable channels, right? Yeah. He's worried about that. Um, he goes, for our league to continue to grow and evolve in this new era, I think, at the very minimum, the veteran coaches should have a direct line of communication, a voice in the conversation. So this all makes sense now, based on the reporting from Thamel, as to why, like beyond the COVID season, why Kevin Warren ends up being the president of the Chicago Bears and not the commissioner of the Big Ten. Because while he's lauded and propped up for negotiating this TV deal, which, by the way, could still get signed. I mean, and, and they're still going to make millions upon millions off of this. 
Um, it may not be 100 million per year uh, based on the initial reports. We'll see. It's going to be close to that. Point being, I think there's a lot of things that were not approved that were signed off on, and Kevin Warren was asked to, uh, you know, hey, why don't you go interview for Chicago if you really want to? Look, I love um, I love streaming, and I love having the option to stream a lot of different things, and, and live sports included. I watched my nephew's college graduation, couldn't make it, but watched it all online and got to see it in crystal clear HD in a digital format on my big screen TV over the, over the weekend on Saturday morning, which is really cool to do. You can watch a lot of different college sports, not just football and men's basketball, online through different streamers. Mm-hmm. And that's great to have that ability. But sports and live sports, they're not made for digital streaming. It's better on cable. It is better on linear television. It always has been. Especially for betting. Always will be. Betting, but also I'd argue, you know, the old TiVo system. You're recording something, and you go into your recordings and you start a game late. It's better doing it that way and going right into my recordings, starting the game after the fact. If you haven't watched it, fast-forwarding at different parts, watching it that way is, is better than on digital streaming. So I get what Tom Izzo saying. There's a lot of things that are headed to streaming. I understand it, but the bottom line is we had it right on linear TV with sports. There's no need to go away from that, even though everyone wants to prop up their streamers. I understand the business of it, but even the streaming business now is starting to be reset. An example is Ted Sarandos in there up front says Netflix is going to start adding advertising. And not just any type of advertising. They're going to do a 30-minute to one-hour ad that goes in two-minute increments over the course of what you're watching. You might get a two-minute ad popping up in the middle of your show, and it's going to be a continuous story on the ad. So you go to another show, you get the next two minutes. You get the next two minutes somewhere else. So they can charge a premium to an advertiser to piece together almost a television Mm. episode or a movie that is an ad. And they don't have to sell to as many sponsors that way. And they're just going to break it down by your own algorithm on what you're watching and put it on different shows that you're watching, and it'll break it up with different parts. That is the future of what's coming. Which, Hutton, sounds an awful lot to me like TV. Like cable, the way we had it before. We're we're, going in a big circle and reverting back to that being the ideal business model. Yeah, but so uh, is that watching anything on Netflix or just sports? Anything you're watching. They're going to go into whatever show you're watching and start placing ads at some point. It's not going to be you know, four ad breaks during an hour-long episode of something, right. but it might be one, it might be two, and then it's going to pop up in the documentary you're watching on Netflix also to go along with the drama or the comedy. But it's going to be one company that breaks up their ads over a longer story. And then within the sporting realm, uh, anything from Amazon to YouTube is going to sell the ad placements the same way. Right, just like Amazon did last year. Yeah, sports just aren't ideal on streamers, on, on digital. Yeah. It's, it's great to have that level of inventory where so many things now are on somewhere that you can go watch it, but the biggest sporting events, the games you really want to see, I mean, take a poll of people that have both, and I'm willing to bet 85 to 90% of them would prefer to watch it on some form of linear television as opposed to going to streaming to watch it. Yeah, in order to do that, like, so if you have DirecTV, you can download, like, the Paramount, uh, Paramount app, right? And then you, through Paramount, because you have DirecTV, 
you've got some kind of leniency on how long you have that app, right? If, am I getting this right on the TV? Um, and that's how you can watch like local news through the Paramount app. It's because you're a DirecTV subscriber, for instance. It's all very confusing. Yeah. It's, it's almost as confusing as trying to find a Yankees game this week. Um, Chad, you just sent over the, the four different services to watch the next five New York Yankees games. You have to subscribe to four different services. <laughs> Sunday, Peacock. Monday, Day Off. Tuesday, Yes Network. Wednesday, Prime Video. Thursday, Yes Network. Friday, Apple TV Plus to watch the Yankees. This is perfect example of confusing the consumer and everyone yep. going all in on digital streaming now starting to have their hand bitten back and we're reverting back to cable. I, I look back and I think, you know, I watch Succession every Sunday night and I record it on HBO. I have HBO Max or what it's going to become Max now. It's not just HBO Max it's called Max. I have that streaming service, but what do I do? I hit record eight o'clock every Sunday night to watch Succession. And then I start it sometime after it begins, and I watch the episode, and I delete it when it's over with. That feels old school now. That's what's crazy. This was something new 10, 15 years ago that you could do, and now that feels old school. Think about how pure and awesome it is to remember the start of that where you found out about a show that was good, and you just went to the network it was on and hit record all. And you went back and watched it when a new episode aired. Or... You picked up your cable remote, DirecTV, Dish Network, pick your local cable company, whatever it is, and you search for sports that are live. Or you search for where your game was, and you went and found it and watched it on TV. Are we going to get back to that? Not right now, Well, but the business is starting to revert back to that a bit. Yeah, yes, uh, but the, the, see, the difference is... And it's because of if, this. If, People are going to get tired of this, the Yankees example. Yeah. Of having to find so many different things. Yeah, but if I if I add up all the subscription services, is it going to add up to three hundred and thirty five dollars a month, which is Directv, if you want uh, the HBO and Max and all that? Well, if there was a you way know, now, if, now if yes, there was a way at, to at, at time at the time it was five ninety nine seven ninety nine. Yeah. Now it's twenty bucks. Right. Well, the, so the here's, prices keep rising. Here's what I would do. I would say just as an exercise with anyone with their home budget, I'll do the same. Take If you've got cable and streamers, or just you've cut the cord and you've got just streamers, mm -hmm. whatever it is, yep. take your total viewing entertainment expenses for the month, cable plus streamers or whatever it is, and then imagine a world where all of it was in one spot, right? If you had one conglomerate streaming app where you could go to it, or cable that could feature all these things and you'd have inventory to go watch it, what premium would you pay to make it less confusing? $30 more a month? $50 more a month? I'm saying to streamline it the way cable was. Where it's all on one, you, you don't have you're to choose not the bouncing app. It's all on as one much. channel guide. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you're paying what you're paying right now if you haven't cut the cord. I mean, that's what you're willing to pay. Because if you hadn't cut the cord now, it's not an issue for you. Right? I, to get every subscription. Yeah. In that one and spot. I, I have probably two streamers simply because I watch one or two shows yeah. that pop up you know, once or twice a year on that streamer. And I'm not going to it ever. I'm not looking at it other than that. But they've, they've got us. I mean, to an extent, they have me for that reason. It's a mad race. 
there's a mad race to get all the inventory or as much as possible. So when the bubble bursts on a lot of the streaming apps, theirs is not going to. I think that the mad race was on for content, inventory, all of that, spin, 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 well, spin, it, spin. And now I think the mad race is, now how can we turn a profit on this? Well, but I'm very curious though. Like, so if you're cutting, you're, if you're cutting in your budget and you're trying to say, okay, all of these apps are just, they're weighing down our monthly budget. Which ones are we going to get rid of? The ones that are acquiring the NFL and the SEC are banking on the fact you will not cut them off that list because that's how you're going to watch that product. Meanwhile, Netflix, it's a very interesting game because Netflix doesn't have the live sports. And the, the, Nor the, do they want it. But, but the gamble has been, do you want the live sports, specifically football, don't get it twisted, specifically football, or do you want just what Netflix provides? And then from there, make your decision on which one you're going to pay. And meanwhile, Netflix keeps raising the price. Yeah. But we keep paying. Uh, to, to some point, to some level. Everyone's got a different level they're willing to but go to. They're, they're losing so much money. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone so, is. So you got to figure it out. I can tell you uh, who's not losing money. That's Leonardo DiCaprio. And who's losing time. Well, that was the director of Leo's new film because of a standing ovation that outlasted Johnny Depp's standing ovation from last week. That's next on Hotline. Chad, coming up, the embarrassment that was the Boston Celtics organization last night in Miami. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on Rough across weekend. the Outkick Network. Hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, lend some support to uh, this great radio partner if you're listening this way as well. We appreciate you. Chad, um, this is right up my alley. Killers of the Flower Moon. I've been waiting on this since reading the book. Um, Scorsese bought the rights to the script like 10 years ago. Got DiCaprio in on it. He's one of the producers. One of his buddies. DiCaprio his read muse. for it. Didn't have to read for it, let me say this. They, they said, hey, uh, we want you, Scorsese was like, I want you to do this. And he wanted to play the good guy. And he ends up, he's going to play the villain, which I can't wait for. So uh, Martin Scorsese received a nine-minute standing ovation this past weekend at the uh, can at can. Film, Can Film Festival. Film Festival, yeah. Uh, two minutes longer than what we said would be an eternity of Johnny Depp st standing there, you know. I said, you're done sobbing and crying because of the acknowledgement, and you're like, okay, what are we doing here? It's a little awkward. And it's awkward after 30 seconds to 45 seconds to me. But nine minutes of a standing ovation. I, I, I see this, and I, I think that my first question was an important one that, is this just a French thing? to go way too long on the standing ovation. Maybe this is part of their custom. I mean, I've Maybe. never heard of standing ovations this long. We've had two in France in a short amount of time. The Greatest. French don't know when to sit down and stop applauding. Hang on. Let me look this up. I mean, it may be. I'm not saying they invented the standing ovation. I'm saying they don't know how to, to do it. They just don't know when to sit down. They just keep going. It's crazy to see the thing about standing up for that long and, and applauding someone. Um, the longest ovation was with uh, 
Guillermo del Toro received a 22-minute long standing ovation. <laughs> and, For what? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, let's say, did he save someone in the theater? Uh, enough time to watch an episode of Seinfeld, it says. Pre- perform the Heimlich on someone? That's and a save long their time life? to stand and just applaud. Uh, Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11 oh, I'm sure. also received a 20-minute standing ovation in 2004. So maybe this is, you know, this uh, is, this is, uh, this this is, is on the downside. No more headlines on standing ovations unless you're going above these two. That's I wonder the if rule. they do, like, breakdowns of uh, the expectation. If you can bet on the length of the standing ovation a film will get at Cannes, if that's, there's a betting market in Europe for that because they just know some of these things are going to get <laughs> enormously long standing O's. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon out this fall. Out on Apple TV Plus. Well, it'll be in theaters, theaters too, right? Yeah, but it, you can watch it exclusively on Apple TV while it's yeah. in theaters if you're a subscriber. That's one I might want to see in, in theaters. I agree. Along I with agree. Uh, True story. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Indiana Jones. Which is not getting good reviews. Uh, the one I read from the New York Times is pretty good. They said they delivered on nostalgia, and it's way better than the last one. But it's pretty cookie well, cutter. That's a pretty low bar, though. Yeah, but I, I, I want it to be good. I'll let you watch it and tell me. Not great reviews, but I, the the two reviews I read are not bad, just not great. Also not great. In fact, awful. The Celtics. Our take on how bad and our reaction to the loss next. 